When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the 615 Sessions podcast here on the A to Z Sports Podcast Network. Always lovely to have you guys in for another episode. Always lovely to have the queen herself, as she mentioned before this podcast started. The Associated Press's own Teresa Walker, the Hall of Famer in the flesh, joins us now. Hello, T. How are you doing, Buck? I'm swell, made better by your presence as always. Uh, you know, we we soldier on through this football season. The local professional football team winning a game and spoiling us, I suppose, uh, this past Sunday. Back-to-back home games, though, for the first time this season, Teresa, against the Indianapolis Colts. It's crazy to think about that we're in December and we're just now saying that for the first time. It is, and it, it almost feels like the NFL had it out for the Titans in a way. I mean, think hmm. about it. You know, they they had one home game, and when I say home game, one home game in Nashville in a seven-week span. Now, granted, the bye week was in there, but, you know, the NFL counted the game in London as a home game for the Titans. And I'm sorry, but, you know, when the NBA, the NHL, when they play games overseas, they don't count them as home games. They count them as neutral site games. So I kind of feel for the Titans, you know, it's, it's like the home record uh, you know, technically has a loss on it, but I, everybody, you know, with a brain is putting it under the loss column and calling them, you know, because they literally have not won a game away from Nashville since November of 22 in Green Bay. Uh, but finally, on December 3rd, they will play their second straight home game. I mean, it's almost absurd. Hey, it's it's really a, a pretty and and everybody that I talk to listen you, you don't give give them an excuse for anything they're they're a below average football team and they've obviously struggled throughout the course of this season but that is a pretty difficult thing to overcome especially given the situation with their rookie quarterback uh as they try and you know get him up to speed in real time with a lot of parts that are less than around him. But he'll get uh, the opportunity to make his first start in the divisional game. Will Levis will. Teresa, I wonder just generally, you you and I haven't talked about him, I guess, from a from a thousand-foot view. What, what have you liked? What have you not liked about him through five starts? Well, I'll say this. I've liked, I mean, obviously at home until last week, they had been scoring uh, and, and looking like an NFL offense. Right. You know, I mean, 28 points, the, the, the debut – uh, was a little reminiscent of Marcus Mariota. I mean, with the four touchdowns and no interceptions. I mean, you know, you could not have drawn up a better start. Uh, but then the kid had to go on the road for three straight games, which is not easy in the NFL. And, you know, he comes back home. And, yes, he's only won his two games at home, but he's two and three as a starter. And that's not bad, considering that the Titans have literally started eight different combinations through the first 11 games on the offensive line. And last week he had, you know, they started four rookies and yeah. two of them had his uh, blind side. 
So, and he was sacked only once, which tied the season low for sacks in a game for the Titans this year. So that I think is a good thing. And he's been protecting the ball. Would you like to see more touchdowns? Sure, we all would. But the, the biggest number to me is the number of uh, t- interceptions, just two. We know that Ryan Tannehill was struggling with that and his, his interceptions late in games, one of those in, in the Pittsburgh game when he was literally trying to lead them to a win at the end of that game on the road on November 2nd. So uh, I, I, I've been impressed. Now, you know, I, I went to the University of Tennessee. I would have loved to have seen Hendon Hooker taken by the Titans. I'll admit that, you know, because I, I, I you know, you know, closeness. I saw him. I saw Will Levis in that Kentucky offense last year. And then we find out that Will Levis was playing on an injury that, you know, he could have easily gone to the barn, shut it down and started getting ready for the NFL draft. When you find some of those things out, you're like, okay. And and I gave him a, you know, completely fresh start when he got to this team because everybody looks different in different offenses when you're surrounded by different people. And this is an NFL level. The thing that has maybe impressed me the most about Will Levis, Buck, is how quickly the ball gets out of his hands. Now, uh, you know, you watch him at practice and it, the ball gets in his hands and it's boom, yeah. boom, boom. Now, we've been impressed by the strong arm going down the field. But to me, the quick release, especially with this offensive line, I mean, it, mm-hmm. you know, put put cones around it. It is literally under construction, has <laughs> been for, you know, it's, an, it's like a road project in the state of Tennessee under construction forever because it's banged up potholes, you name it. But when you can get the ball out of your hand that quickly, it to, you know, as somebody who grew up as a Dolphins fan, it, it reminds me a bit of how Dan Marino would get the ball out of his hand. You know, and Dan Marino, you know, he's in the Hall of Fame in part because he gets that ball out really quickly. So that's that you have to do that. And as a rookie with this line, that's imperative. And I see him making some fast decisions. I see the Titans helping him especially this last week, uh, trying, you know, with some play calls to get the ball out as fast as humanly possible to keep him upright and healthy. Uh, an average time to throw so far through these five starts uh, among qualified quarterbacks, courtesy of Net- Next Gen Stats of 2.83 seconds. He is sandwiched between Lamar Jackson, Teresa at 2.85, and Brock Purdy at 2.81. The ball is coming out. It's tough to get him in rhythm because of of this offensive line situation, this T-dot project, as you've uh, accurately described them as with the traffic cones around them, some of them doing their best traffic cone impression from time to time. But uh, with with that being said, you know, to go back to your note about the rookies, and they included this in the supplemental notes, the Titans PR staff did. Robert Walsh is trying to call me in the middle of the podcast. That's completely unproductive and not helpful whatsoever. Uh, But they did have this note about the rookies and the offensive snaps. The most offensive snaps by rookies since week eight, the Tennessee Titans with Skaronsky, Spears, Duncan, Wiley, Colton Dow playing some on offense, but mostly on special teams. Uh, And then Matthew Jackson, who's a UDFA participating for this football team right now. 862 offensive snaps by a rookie. It is the most by, by rookies in total. It's the most of any team by a wide margin. Second is the Chicago Bears with 817 to date. So, you know, if anything, they're learning on the job, Teresa. And and as we talked about, it's as important for them to find out about players who can help them moving forward, right? They had all six draft picks on offense. 
We know the team desperately needs help on offense. We know that they, we know obviously now that they need more help beyond what they've acquired on offense. Now it's just about beyond Will Levis, who can legitimately help this football team moving forward. Skaronsky, yes. Spears, yes. Josh Wiley appears to be by snap count tight end one. Um, and I don't know if that's a product of how much Chig has underwhelmed on the season or if that's something viable for them moving forward. But for guys like Wiley and Duncan, um, Dowell, as he looks to find a, a larger role, Traylon Burke's coming back this weekend, so one would imagine that role would be decreased, but we will see. It's just, it speaks to the li- literal youth movement that they are having to get off the ground if for no other reason but their hands been forced. Exactly. I mean, for and, and all, for all the fans that are mad that they didn't go get more talent, you know, the first year GM Rand Carthon didn't have much to work with. I mean, there was a reason why guys like Ben Jones, Taylor Lewan, et cetera, et cetera, were cut. It was literally to create some space under the cap so that they could try to get some stuff. Did, did, did all the moves work out? No. I mean, Andre Dillard, I mean, when all of us thought that, that nobody could be a worse traffic cone than Dennis Daly, then along comes DeAndre Dillard, but he was a first round pick. So you're trying to, he, he cost them what the market bears. And, you know, that was a failed experiment at this point. Uh, so, you know what you don't have in him, but Jalen Duncan, you know, he seemed to get better as that game went on. And for a six round pick, if him and Skaronsky can finish the season playing together and, and grow and build their chemistry and, and develop along with Levis and, and Spears and these other rookies, then they've got, that gives them something to spend all this money they're going to have this offseason and build around. And if, you know, it answers a big question. If Jalen Duncan can be that left tackle moving forward, then guess what? You can go look for other things in free agency, in the draft. You don't have to immediately go get a left tackle and, and you can focus on other areas of the team. So that's, that's the biggest thing. And get these kids learning how to win. I mean, you know, for people who are wanting them to tank and lose to get a higher draft pick, my God, we have seen this franchise get high draft picks, Vince Young, and not sign Jake Locker, and not sign a second contract with this team. Marcus Mariota. Ding, ding, ding. So on and on and on, it feels like we could go. So what matters is making sure these kids don't get – so, you know, lost in the NFL that they feel, you know, that they're drowning in the deepness of the, that is the deep pool of the NFL. Teach them to win. Teach them those good habits. And with four of the final six games at home, that gives them that chance and, and get those good habits and determine what you've got moving forward. That is the biggest thing that is on the table for the Tennessee Titans at this point. Uh, the Queen, Teresa Walker of the Associated Press, is hanging out here with us on the 615 Sessions podcast. People are always very happy to see Teresa. As they note in the comment section, we'll ask Teresa one of your questions before the podcast is over. Uh, it is made possible by the great people at Relax the Back. Hashtag, we got your back, Nashville. Christmas right around the corner. Teresa, well, well aware of this. Of course, she will have already done her Christmas shopping. If you are like me and have not yet done your Christmas shopping and need to do so, Do yourself a favor, whether you're getting yourself a present for you or a present for a loved one, perhaps a massage chair, Teresa. I'm sure somebody in your life could stand to get you a massage chair for as much as you're working on a regular basis. Perhaps an ergonomic office chair, whatever you need, Relax the Back has you covered. Go to RelaxTheBackNashville.com for more information or visit their location in Green Hills just next door to Hillsborough High School here in Middle Tennessee. Uh, so with that being said, teach them how to win and things of that nature, uh, Teresa. 
been a lot of stuff swirling around Mike Vrabel's job, whether that's job security, whether that's other opportunities elsewhere. There's been a lot of weird shit swirling around just this organization here this past week. And and I wonder as somebody who who is such a, and I don't say this to just kind of uh, uh, blow smoke, Teresa, but like you and your job as the Associated Press, the value that you must place on journalism, on ethics, on fact-based reporting and things of that nature. I wonder what you made of this story from Greg Bedard of the Boston Sports Journal that was alleging a lot of different stuff about how Rand Carthon, the general manager here, came to be here. Uh, again, none of it really fleshed out other than a couple of words in two paragraphs. Um, it, for me, you know, I, I'll let you answer the question first, but I just wonder what you made of all of the theories that were being put in as quote unquote reports uh, around the Titans organization this week. Clickbait and BS. I mean, that's that's what I immediately thought of. Let, let's connect some dots. Mike Vrabel was inducted into the Patriots Hall of Fame during the bye week in October. The, the Patriots are struggling there. That fan base is not used to that. And everybody's looking at Belichick with his age, his experience, not having Tom Brady and saying, well, surely to goodness, he's not going to be coaching again next year. And you look over there and hmm, Mike Vrabel, uh, you know, he, he sure got to 50 wins really quickly. And look what he's done with that roster. And oh, he's got a it's been a lot of, you know, trying to connect dots, but you have to have some there there. And I mean, let, let's be honest. I mean, you know, those of us who were actually in the room when they introduced Rand Carthon. I mean, you know, granted, they've only had a few months to build a relationship. And when he was hired and introduced, it's it's not like, you know, Rand and Mike had spent months and, you know, developing a relationship at that point. But it, there, there's there's been nothing that I've seen on this end here in Nashville to indicate that they don't get along. I mean, you know, Amy Adams Strunk made it very clear that she wanted to see collaboration, which tells me that John Robinson was maybe not collaborating. Makes me wonder who all was. I mean, we saw the video from the draft room last year when they announced that trade of A.J. Brown. Mike Vrabel was not happy. Mike, that's the GM that Mike Vrabel was not getting along with last year. And so it just feels like. Uh, you know, I, I'm driving by the Tesla lot and I'm thinking, oh, I'd really like one of those. But and, and now how do I make that happen? In, in, in theory, I could make up a lot of possibilities, but in actuality, I can't afford that. And this idea that Amy is going to trade away Mike Vrabel. I mean, oh, yeah, she fired Mike Malarkey after a divisional appearance. Mike Malarkey was fired because he wouldn't make some staff changes. OK, and, and, and you know, he, he showed some stubbornness. Michael just did. A, and for people who are ragging on his coaching staff, he's made He made a bunch of changes this last offseason. There were a ton of new people brought in on both external sides new people. I think it's worth yes. to point out, Teresa. They did move some people around. But for all the accusations of, oh, he just hires his buddies. There are a fair amount. And I'm sure he, he has come across these people at various points prior to hiring them for their jobs in the league. But there were a lot of new faces that Mike Vrabel has not previously worked with added into roles on the staff this year. Sorry to interrupt. No, you're absolutely right. And that's the thing from Lori Locust to Charles London, you name it. And, you know, and even with Rand working alongside him in the front office, you know, Chad Brinker, Anthony, oh, and I'm blanking on his last name, the Robinson. other assistant. Yes, Robinson. He was part of the NFL's accelerator program. And so, you know, that's the whole thing. There's a lot of new faces that have been brought into this organization 
to clean up the mess that John Robinson has made of this roster. And, and that's, you know, I think there's a lot of frustration on Titans fans part because yeah, I mean, they went from seven and three on the verge of a third straight AFC South title to out of the playoffs over on the road, you know, it, you know, and it's like, they're playing tons of rookies, ton, you know, 19 undrafted free agents uh, are on the roster as of this moment. I mean, it, it's almost like there, there used to be one of those cartoons that, you know, they had somebody going around sweeping up after the circus and that's what Rand and Mike are doing with this roster and with this coach, this coaching staff, they're trying to make something of what they've gotten. And, but and next year, next off season, Thank you, Ching Bing uh, and Danny before. But it's like, that's the thing. They're, they're, this is a survival year. See what you can do. See what you've got. And, and get to the point where right now you've got the most cap space in the NFL. You know, the buyer trade, as tough as that was, you, you added draft stock. And this is where, you know, we'll really see how these guys work together by how they identify the areas that have to be fix because there's a lot of potholes that they have to fill to stick with the construction metaphor that I started. A lot of construction metaphors going around and understandably so. Uh, Teresa Walker preaching the good word here with us on what on uh, the uh, 615 Sessions podcast. Uh, so to, to that end, Teresa, you're the only person who talked to Amy Adams Strunk in a professional setting. I mean, we've seen Amy, you know, since then we've obviously I talked to her on the sidelines in Jacksonville. I think last time I talked to Amy Adams Strunk. Uh, here a couple of weeks ago, but you were the person that she sat down with after she fired John Robinson. I believe, uh, I don't know that it was quite a full week after she fired John Robinson. Um, but anyway, you you sat down with her and, and talked to her about her logic and decision-making since then. Uh, in, your, in, in your interactions with her, Teresa, and in, in a working capacity, what would you make of the the job that she has done as the controlling owner here? Because I look at Carolina, a team that this team just played, whose owner is very, very meddlesome, whose owner has been making all kinds of splash moves in an effort to basically try and buy their way into competency and has only set them back, it seems, for several years to come as a result. What have you made of Amy Adams Strunk and her stewardship, basically, in this franchise? Well, first off, for all the Titan fans who are saying sell the team, that's what you could end up with, a billionaire who wants to be satisfied immediately. Now, Amy, when she took over in March of 2015, replacing her brother-in-law, Tommy Smith, as the controlling owner, you know, she didn't she didn't make moves immediately. OK. And so for the people who look at the move last year, firing John Robinson on December 6th is out of the blue, uh, an emergency move, you know, a panic move. I've seen some of those descriptions of her decision. No, she looks and studies and takes things into account. And she she settled into her role that first year. And she Tommy Smith had saddled her with Ken Wisenhunt, hiring him away from Detroit because he was so afraid of losing him to the Detroit Lions that he sent a plane out for him five years five million dollars and yet through you know he was three and 23 or I think was his record as a head coach and she fired him after watching him essentially coaching malpractice in a loss in Houston not protecting a quarterback against JJ Watt 
and she watched, she settled, she watched everything. And then she made her move. This woman grew up around this program. Okay. Her father founded the Oilers. She grew up in the house watching him make deals, how he did business. Now she's doing it her way. She is a businesswoman. I mean, she's been a quiet businesswoman. You know, I've seen her described as somebody who's more into to horses and ranches and things like this, but this woman knows how to do business. And I mean, you know, for people who aren't happy with the, the taxpayer money going into the new stadium, well, nearly doubled the practice facility and that came out of their own pocket. Okay. So I talked to her, she fired John on a Tuesday. I talked to her on that Friday and, you know, she, she had been watching, you know, she saw him not make a deal with AJ Brown. She saw him, you know, botch three straight first round picks. I mean, Isaiah Wilson, didn't even finish the year. They suspended him in December and he was their first round pick that year. A guy who had been projected maybe as a third rounder. Mm. Okay. So only the people in the room know how much it was John making the final decisions on these picks. How much was the staff saying the scouting department saying, no, we want this guy and, and him going a different direction. And, so, but the AJ Brown thing, and she saw I mean, yes, it was right after the Philadelphia game. And I know people want to say that she saw her team get torched by AJ and made an emotional move. Well, guess what? I think it was the punctuation mark on an evaluation process that she had been undergoing. I mean, 2016, people remember Kevin Dodd? He was a second round pick. I think he was 33rd overall. A complete bust. Didn't play his second season, similar to Isaiah Wilson. Caleb Farley coming off of a back surgery, a second back surgery. And they let, you know, he has barely made an appearance on an NFL field in his tenure. Dylan Radens was a guy who had played one game and they made him a second round pick. So I think that seeing AJ Brown have that big, big game just kind of put the punctuation mark for, and it's like, you know what? It's time. Let's do this. And you know what? It came before uh, the, the NFL accelerator program. And yeah, she was in a room along with Burke Nihil, the president and somebody else and, uh, Adolfo Birch. And, you know, he had a couple, Rand Carthon had a couple minutes. It's like speed dating at these accelerator programs, but she got to start looking at some different options. So, and you know what? That's why I believe she fired John when she did rather than wait to the end of the season. I was literally in the locker room getting ready to talk to Marcus Mariota when I heard him say to a PR person, uh, do they know yet? And I look at my phone. Sure enough, they had fired Rustin Webster as the GM. And that's when she went and hired John Robinson. And he did a great job of helping salvage what had been a five and 27 uh, franchise. But. There's just so much more. When you look at the misses and free agency and the draft, that was an easy decision to make, in my opinion. And now we've got to see what Rand can do, what Mike can do. Mike Vrabel has got over 50 wins, and he's got the second most games coached for this franchise. I mean, only Jeff Fisher has been with this franchise longer. And, there were, and in the first five years, he had this team in the playoffs three times, and in the regular season finale of the other two years, Quarterback injuries cost them a playoff berth in each of those games. After the first one, it was Marcus Mariota. They went out and got Ryan Tannehill. Okay, after this time when they, you know, they, you know, they couldn't go with Ryan Tannehill and Josh Dobbs plays in Jacksonville, they went out and drafted Will Levis. So we will see. Is Will Levis their quarterback of the future? That's still to be determined as we go through the rest of the season. But I mean, she knows what she's doing. 
Okay. And, and, and for all, and to circle back to the Mike Vrabel rumors, she's Bud Adams daughter. And just from my, from watching her, this family, this franchise, and I watched this franchise in the seventies when I was growing up with Earl Campbell and Dan Pastorini. I just don't see her giving up something that other people want. You know why? Because that means there's value there and she's not going to give up something that can help her win in the NFL. Teresa Walker, uh, thank uh, thank you so much, T, for spending a little bit of time with us. I'm going to let uh, I'm going to put up somebody one of the audience members' questions here in just a second. A quick reminder: podcast made possible by Two Rivers Ford, powered by Ford, driven by people, quality American-made Ford vehicles, and award-winning customer service. Uh, Teresa, were you at coordinator availability yesterday? Uh, no, I was not. Okay. Wait, yes, I was. Yes, I was. Sorry, sorry, sorry. That's uh, okay. So. <laughs> Going off of that, because of the second half, and you bring up Will Levis, the second half of this past game against Carolina, where you know they only complete five passes in the second half, Teresa. The offense sputters, and it looks like they're doing it uh, as a means of just protecting the lead as opposed to outright continuing to play to win. So Danny asks us, do we think that the offensive play calling, uh, do we think that the offensive play calling not being great is because they're kind of easing Levis into the system, basically what he's asking. Are they coaching conservatively because that's a philosophical point, or are they coaching conservatively because they're trying to protect the rookie quarterback from making more of those mistakes than he's already done well to avoid himself? I'm going to say no. I, I, yes, they did have a lead, and I think that this is a franchise that with the you know coming into the game with a three-game skid, that they wanted to win. I mean, let's not let, let's be honest. They wanted to make sure they protected that lead. Is that a bad thing? No, they that, that locker room desperately needed a win. But, you know, look at how many times he's thrown deep. I don't think they've been that, you know, you have to protect him and keep him alive. And I do think that they're maybe coaching some to protect Will Levis to keep him alive. You can't evaluate a rookie quarterback if he's hurting on the sideline. But we've seen him throw deep. I mean, we've seen some trick plays. I think the bigger challenge is, you know, just not – they've been hurting themselves. And this is where, you know, they've played 10 different rookies this year, They, you know, the undrafteds. I mean, this is a team that, you know, in the talent scope is not that great. And you've got guys that, you know, how many times have we seen false starts? I mean, Daniel Brunskill, who's a veteran, he had a twitch that, you know, I kind of thought that it was more the defense, you know, getting him to do, to move. But they they saw a flinch from him and they flagged him for a false start. So when you've got penalties like that, you know, they've been self-destructing almost more than being conservatively coached. I, You know, when they when they that nine minute drive plus in the first quarter, that was a thing of beauty. It was the longest drive that they've had time wise since Green Bay of a year ago. So yeah. and, and they were doing some interesting things. I mean, they've had Will Levis line up outside and they've done some different things. I mean, shoot, they had Derrick Henry out wide to start the game Sunday. Uh, I'd love to see, let, let, I, I asked that question of Tim Kelly, you know, do you want to put him out there and just let, you know, throw deep to Derrick Henry and use his speed? And, you know, he didn't, you know, I'm curious to see, I'd love to see that play get called up uh, just to, I mean, why not at this point with the record and with what's going on, give Derrick a chance to run deep and, and put that, make defenses have to think about that. But I don't think they're 
coaching it conservatively as much as the talent level is keeping them from executing to the level to stay on the field. What's the, big, the biggest problem for this offense this year? Not scoring enough points, not having enough plays. And you literally can't get deep into the playbook when you're not on the field for more than uh, it was 38 plays in Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but that's, that's, that's ridiculous. Well, even 53 on Sunday is, is below average for your standard NFL team. And, and, you know, for those who want more Derrick Henry, they have to be able to be in a position to use Derrick Henry, which I think is kind of a new state of thinking for a lot of Titans fans that Derrick Henry's use should just be a given. Um, but that's not really the case when you ha- when you have an offensive line who just simply can't help the guy enough to get him going the way that you need him to be. Anyway, we'll have more time to talk about this. Titans and Colts. Teresa will be there on Sunday. I will, of course, be there as well. She's always good to make time for us, and we appreciate it because we know how busy she is. Teresa, always good to see you, and thank you for stopping by the podcast this week.